So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's get those out. Let's get ready to jump into God's Word this morning. Um, as we continue uh, this month, you know, is our vision month, and we're talking about um, really where God's taking us and where God's leading us and what God wants from us. Um, the, the first week of this, we talked about our own personal responsibility and how we have to personally surrender to God individually before we can do anything collectively. Each one of us has to surrender individually to God's will in each of our lives and what God wants from us each at every step along the way. And then last week, we talked about embracing our community and how important it is that we be a church that's just not located in a community, but that we're a church that is a part of the community, that we have an integral role to play in our community. And that role is to see people's lives and their hearts changed with the love and mercy of Jesus Christ. And how we accomplish that is through loving people and through seeing needs and meeting the needs that our community has. Not only spiritual needs, but physical needs, um, emotional needs. The list goes on and on and on as we do that. And this morning brings us to the concept of loving people and how God commands us that we are to love people, all people, not just our friends and not just those that think and look and sound like us, all people. And to actually love people. You know, in in our society, we, we use the word love like really loosely. You know, like we say, like we love pizza. But we don't really love pizza. Like in the real sense of what you know, the definition of love is we don't love pizza. I mean, if you loved pizza like that, it'd be kind of weird, right? But we like to say that we love pizza. Unless you're Pastor Brad, you say, I love Monocle's pizza, for example, right? Yes, I'm amongst friends this morning. It's good, but, but we don't really mean that. And so a lot of times the way that we throw love around, we say like, oh, I love my kids. Oh, I love my dog. Oh, I love my house. Oh, I love my team. Oh, I love this. I love the Cubs. I love the Bears. I love the Cardinals. See, we're getting everybody in here this morning. Uh, but you don't really love all of those things. Well, maybe some of you men do, but that's another issue. But we love, if you're Jim Nevar, you love the Green Bay Packers. And you teach other people's kids to love your team. You may notice my two boys are wearing Green Bay Packers shirts for some reason today. Um, Yeah. So, you see, we, we use this word love like really loosely and really frivolously a lot. And it's lost a lot of its meaning as to what love really means. So we want to look at what the Bible talks about, about love this morning and how the Bible says that we're actually supposed to love our enemies. And loving our enemies reminds me of the story of a guy who reached his 100th birthday. And so the local news came and they were going to interview him to talk about this milestone birthday that he hit. A hundred years old. And so the reporter comes and he talks to him and he says, Sir, tell me, what in your life are you most proud of? And the man said, well, I don't have an enemy in the world. And the reporter said, that's amazing. That's so inspirational. That's so fantastic. He's like, how in the world, after a hundred years, have you managed to not have a single enemy in the world? And the man said, it's easy. I outlived all of them. (laughs) So, you see, we're, we're commanded to love our enemies a little bit more than just outliving them. Right? So if you have your Bible, turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 
familiar passage of Scripture that we call the love chapter, but not that kind of love. 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, we're going to begin in verse number 1. It says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. You know, this passage is really talking about, and if you really, like, put it down to the least common denominator, the Bible says this about love. Love is completely unselfish. It's always about who or what it is that, that we love. If we love our church, if we love our, our spouse, if we love our kids, we love our relationship. It's all unselfishly motivated, which is really difficult for us because as humans, we are always selfishly motivated in everything. And the world views Christianity today more as an angry political activist movement than a spiritual organization that's devoted to handing out hope and healing to a hurting world. When the world is hurting, sometimes, of course, this wouldn't be our church's response, but there are some out there who would say, well, you know what? It serves them right. There's a lot of people out there that when things happen and they go, well, you know, the world that we live in, that's just, you know, well, that's, that's what you get. You know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna sow that seed, that's what you're gonna reap. You know, we wanna, we wanna apply these things and we wanna talk about these things. Um, when things happen in the world. But that's not what the Bible has called us to do. Now, certainly the Bible talks about us not loving the world, right? And he tells us to come out and to be separate and to not love the things of the world that we are commanded to be salt and we are commanded to be light. And we're supposed to bring light into a sinful world. We're called to speak out and call people to repentance. But all of that must be presented with compassion and concern. The truth must be spoken in love. Like Jesus, we are called to be people full of grace and truth. One of Christ's most uh, famous sermons in which he instructs his disciples on how to live as his followers, right? It's found in, in Luke 6 and Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And it's basically an instruction manual for all of us as Christ followers um, as to how we're supposed to live. And one of the things that you see um, Jesus say in the beginning of that is he says that, that this is a new law. But we have to understand that it's more than just law. You see, before Jesus came and we lived under the Old Testament law, right? And, and the children of Israel were commanded to live under the Old Testament law. There was like over 700 laws and commandments that they had to follow. Basically what it was, was a list of do's and don'ts. You can do this, you can't do that. You can do this, you can't do that. You can do this, you can't do that. Over and over and over. Can you imagine trying to keep up with over 700 rules? We don't do really well with the 10 that we have. 
really the two that Jesus gave us. But imagine those 700. But you see, the, the point of that law was it was all outwardly focused. It was behavior driven. If I do this and if I don't do this, then this will happen. And so Jesus comes and he says, look, I'm here to fulfill the law, but also this is a new law. And so everyone went, okay, this is a list of things I should do. And this is a list of things that I shouldn't do. But it's much, much, much more than that. Jesus preaches this sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that keeping the law is not so much about outward action as it is about attitudes of our heart. And Jesus focused more on what was in here than he did on what was out here. And we see in Luke chapter 6, um, begins like in, in verse in verse 20 he says in this he says he lifted up his eyes he said blessed are the poor for yours is the kingdom of God and this begins that sermon on the mount where Jesus begins to lay out what a lot of this looks for but Jesus talks about in this beginning portion of this scripture he talks about the trust towards God that we should have in our own circumstances and, and lays this out and then he moves from talking about um, our attitude and our circumstances to our attitude towards other people. And that's where we want to pick that up this morning in Luke um, chapter 6, beginning in verse 27. And this scripture applies whether we're interacting with friends, enemies, Christians, non-Christians. Our attitude toward other people should always be to love them. None of us have problems loving the friends and family members that we get along with, right? It's the people and even the family members or other Christians who seem to want to do us harm or who we seem to find ourselves in conflict with are the people that are spreading lies and the people that we have trouble then applying this commandment to. And Jesus says that it also applies to these people. And it's Luke chapter 6. Go ahead and turn with me, verse 27. This is our instructions on what our attitude should be. Jesus says this, but I say to you, who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you, to the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also, and from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either, give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back, and as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And is, it, and is it good to do good to those who do good to you? What benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. You know, we have a tendency as humans to, to want to invest in reciprocal relationships. That's the I'll scratch your back and you scratch mine type relationship we give and we expect to receive back if not at least equal to it should be in most of our minds a little bit more right and you see this throughout like all of our human relationships that we have this reciprocal idea of 
What are you doing for me? And then what am I going to do for you? Okay, and you did this for me, now I'll do this for you. And you see a lot of times in people whose, whose marriages have issues, you see this one thing that's said all the time over and over. Well, they just didn't meet my needs anymore, right? Because our relationships are based on reciprocal investment. If you do this for me, then I will do this for you. But if you don't do your part, then I'm certainly not going to do my part, right? Because it's, in, it's an in and out. It has to always, the books have to be balanced and we prefer them to be in our favor, right? But this is not what Jesus called us to because we look in, in earlier in 1 Corinthians, what the Bible actually says about love is it says that it keeps no record of wrongdoings. It keeps, it, it, it doesn't keep score. And we keep score in every aspect of our relationships, Right? Well, I went out of my way to do this for them. When are they going to make up? They're down a point. You know, hey, you got to even the score. We got to get at least back to even, right? And that's the way that we, we treat a lot of our relationships is it's reciprocal. You invest in me and I'll invest in you. But if you're not going to invest in me, I'm certainly not going to invest in you. And that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus is calling us to. And that's kind of normal because that's our human tendency to want to give and to get. And if I get, then I'll give, right? How many of you wait at like holidays and stuff to see if someone sends you a present and then maybe you'll send them one, but if they don't send you one, you're certainly not going to go out of your way to send them one, right? Some of you are guilty, I know. But that's the way that we treat things. It's invest in and what we want back. And what Jesus is actually calling us to is something quite different. Let's look at this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 again. It says, love is patient and kind, does not envy, boast. It's not arrogant, rude. It does not insist on its own way. In other words, it's not selfish. It's not selfishly motivated and, and driven by its own desires. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's the kind of love that we're called to be as followers of Jesus Christ, is that a love that's motivated unselfishly. And that's really hard for us as humans because in our fallen state, we are always motivated selfishly. We always are looking to self-promote and we're always looking for how is this going to benefit me in the long run. And Jesus says it's not about you. It's about what you're going to do in the life of other people. So the first thing that we learn from Luke chapter 6 is to do good. Jesus says at the end of 627 to do good to those who hate you. Now hate's another word that in our society that we throw around really loosely, don't we? Like, I might say, like, I hate vegetables. I don't really hate vegetables, you know, like in the real sense of, well, maybe a little. But hate is a very strong word, right? Maybe you say, like, I hate anchovies or I hate olives or, you know, I hate it when this. You know, I don't know about your kids, but my kids, they, like, throw that kind of stuff out there. They're like, oh, I hate that. And you're like, no, you don't hate it. But we use hate just as loosely as we, we use love. And so even the word hate has gotten kind of a misconstrued, you know, uh, what, what does it really mean anymore to hate? But Jesus is talking about hate, like true hate, like the people who would love to see you dead. Now, I hope there's not a lot of people out there like that in your life. I hope that's, there's not people like that in my life. But the fact is, those people 
exist in the world. And there are people that want to hate you. You know why? There's people that want to destroy you because we are all selfishly motivated. And if they can destroy you to promote themselves, guess what will happen? Nine times out of ten, they will. Because we are selfishly motivated people. So Jesus says, the first thing he says is do good to those who hate you. If your boss hates you, what do you do? Quit. No. You come in early and you stay late. Why? You show them. You teach them. You do good to those. Your neighbor's dog comes in your yard at certain points of the day. What do you do? You clean it up and take the neighbor a treat and the dog a treat over, right? That's not what I meant. See, you're all selfishly motivated. I meant like take him a plate of cookies and some milk bones with nothing added to the milk bones. All right? You have that coworker, right, who constantly is making your job and your life awful. What do you do? Help them. Promote them. Do good to them. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. And yes, this is really hard. That family member, we don't have to talk about that. We all have one, right? Everyone has one. Everyone has one. Some people will think that, that this saying, good, do good to those who hate you, is really about how if we love them enough that we will make it worse for our enemies, right? Have you ever heard this? Like, oh, if you keep loving them, it'll just drive them nuts, right? Maybe you even heard a message preached like that. Like, you just love them and God will make it hurt for them, you know? No, that's not biblical. That's not what the Bible says. And in fact, this ideology comes out of a scripture found in Proverbs, but it's really misunderstood because people don't understand what it's actually talking about, what the context of the scripture is. Proverbs chapter 25, and remember Proverbs is the book of wisdom, chapter, uh, verse 21 through 22 says this, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So many of us hear that, we're like, oh yeah, if our enemy will give them something to drink, and like God's going to like, you know, toss coals on their heads from heaven or something, make their life miserable, torture them, you know, see harm come their way, because I did them good, and because I'm good and they're bad, God's going to judge them, right? That's what it says. A lot of times people take that scripture that way, and you're like, well, what else could it mean? How could a heap of burning coals on your head be a good thing? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. In the Middle East, rooms are heated in Jesus' time, in the time this is written uh, in Proverbs, that, that they would have center place fires and fireplaces in the centers of all the homes. And a lot of times they would have them in multiple rooms. But for the poor people, they would have just a singular fireplace going with a fire. And they would use this fire to cook, and they would use this fire to clean and to boil water and to do all sorts of different things that they needed. They also used that fire to keep the house warm during cold nights and during the cold season. And yes, it does get cold in the Middle East, in case you're wondering. Israel can get quite cold. And so they would use these fireplaces, and then what they would do at night, when they would get ready to go to sleep, is they would gather all of the coals up together in a big heap, and they would keep them together so that they could hopefully keep the fire going all night long. And when they wake up in the morning, the hope would be that there would still be coals that were hot, and that were available to start the fire 
for the next day. Now, if your fireplace, you woke up in the morning and you had no coals left, you had nothing and you couldn't start the fire, then you would take a clay pot and you would go to your neighbor's house and you would knock on the door and you would say, can I have some coals? And if your neighbor was nice and if they had enough, then they would give you some of their coals in that clay pot and then you would carry that back to your house. Now, how in the Middle East do they carry things back? On their head. So actually, when, when the Bible is saying that, the, that it will be like a heap of burning coals on his head, what the Bible is actually showing here is, is not some sort of a weird, you know, biblical torture mechanism that God's going to throw from heaven on the people that you don't like. In fact, it's the opposite. God's saying that, that if your enemy comes, yes, give them drink. Yes, do this. And what he's actually saying is, is help them succeed. Because that fire in the Middle East in that home was the cornerstone. It was one of the most essential aspects of life that you could have was to have the fire and to be able to cook and to be able to stay warm and be able to do the, all the things that they needed to do in the household. It all centered around the fire. So what the Bible is saying when he says, if you do this, you will like heap burning coals. He's like, it's like you took the whole heap from your house and you put it in his clay pot and allowed him to take it home so that his home could prosper. It's all going back to what Jesus is saying here to do good to those who hate you. The second thing the Bible says is to bless those who curse you. It's all about attitude. And we see Jesus is telling us that he wants us to change first on the inside and then reflect outwardly the change that's happening on the inside. You see, but a lot of times we want to focus on what's on the outside. You know, we don't worry too much about what's happening internally in our hearts. We don't worry about what's happening internally in our lives. And so what we do is, you know, we build up this little facade that looks nice and it looks like we've got everything together and it looks like, you know, it's, it looks really good on Sundays, you know, and we put an extra coat of paint on it so that no one sees, you know, anything else is happening. And as long as we project outwardly what we're saying we're projecting outwardly, everything's good. And Jesus says, no, this is wrong. This is not what it means to follow me. He's saying what it means to follow me is that there is a significant change that occurs on the inside of us at our core, in our heart, where we are fighting against all these things that so naturally come to us, like being selfishly motivated. Jesus says, don't be selfishly motivated. Be unselfishly motivated. Well, you're not going to wake up in the morning and go, today I'm not going to be selfish, and that's it. It's not going to happen. It's going to happen by being intentional and it's going to happen by, with us basically changing who we are from the inside and projecting that outwardly that we're no longer selfishly motivated. And it's a difficult thing for us to do because sometimes when we do that, we're like, yeah, I'm going to do this, but it's selfishly motivated why we want to do it because we want to be the best and because we want to get better. But we have to understand that what Jesus is saying is it's not about you it's about those who you can reach and those lives that you can touch, even those who you consider to be your enemy. He says, pray for those who abuse you. And I think this is probably one of the most difficult. Now, this doesn't mean that you pray that those people would be hurt or those people would be tortured. Again, we're not praying in that manner. We're not praying for judgment. We're not praying for God to, to do something differently than he did in your life. You know, and, and a lot of times we, we, we fail to see that. 
to see what God sees when he sees others. God sees in the people that you dislike the same thing that he saw in you when he offered his mercy and his grace to you. God sees that in us and God sees all of us and wants all of us to be different than we are. But we have to learn to view the world and to view those people around us with the same eyes that Jesus and God through his sovereignty see in us. The last thing is he says this, to do to others how you would wish them to do to you or how you would want them to treat you. The golden rule, as we call it. And and, and the thing about the golden rule is, is if we all could really just live by this one principle in our life, it's amazing how much different the landscape of our society would be. And it's amazing how much our community would change if everybody treated everybody the way they wanted to be treated. You know, we get into, now it's it's a political season. You know, it's a campaign. It's a, it's a presidential election year. And what happens? Everybody has their idea of what's right and what's wrong. And if somebody on the other side happens to pop up on your Facebook thing, what do you do? Most of us do one of two things. We either shake our head and go, I cannot believe this person. I thought they had a good sense about them, right? I am so appalled that, oh, you know, I should probably say something. Right? And we want to set them on the straight and narrow and tell them how their ideology politically is completely wrong and, oh, you know. But then we get upset when we try to tell them, right, what the right political stance is and they don't receive it. And we go, I can't believe that. I mean, they won't even respect what I'm trying to say here. And it's like, well, hello. Did you respect their opinion? It's quiet in here. I've seen some of your Facebook posts. It's okay. We're friends, right? Yeah, we, but, but it's not about reciprocal, right? It's like, hey, either you can get in line with my way of thinking, and if you can fit in this box, great, man. Like, we're going we're gonna to change the world for Jesus. But if you're on the other side, I have. And then we usually will close it out with, I'm going to pray for you. Pray for them in what way? Exactly, is it? That they will come to your level of reasoning? Now, I'm not here to endorse any candidates, okay? We're not here to talk about that specifically, but you get the idea, right? If you think something's right and someone else thinks something's wrong, what do we do? We stand and we're like, you either come over here or I don't want anything to do with you. And the Bible is saying that if we respect and we treat other people and we treat other people's opinions... The way that we want to be treated, imagine how much further the conversation would actually go. Imagine how much more you could get to the commonality and the common ground to see that we're just all people looking for the same things at the end of the day. But some of us are looking at it from this side and some of us are looking at it from that side. Now again, in saying that, that doesn't mean that we don't do what the Bible calls us to do. And that's to speak truth and to speak God's word. We're not talking about compromising God's word. But what we are doing is doing what Christ instructed us to do, right? To respect other people and to treat people the way we want them to treat us. 
You know, if you have an elephant in your yard and your neighbor has a donkey, you can't get mad at how the donkey's treating the elephant if the elephant is shooting glares over at the donkey, right? And vice versa. There's so many different attitudes and, and statements and, and points of, that we can direct this to more than just politics. How many points on Calvinism can you agree with? Is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, any trib? Shall we go on? See, and what happens is, is we wind up focusing and we wind up on what's dividing and not what's uniting. And we wind up in these, in these skirmishes and we don't respect each other's opinions. And what happens? We have the problems that we have today. And so if we could just learn to do what Jesus instructed us to do, and that's to respect and to treat each other the way that we would like to be treated, that it's amazing the traction that we could gain in our communities and with our relationships and with other people. And it's amazing the common ground that we could find. And a lot of times we would find out that we're saying the same thing, we're just saying it in a different language. So how do we do all this? The first step is to love God. The Bible says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We have to learn to truly love God, not the way we love pizza, love God. And a lot of times we treat God, oh, I love God. Oh, isn't God good? And you're saying it the same way you talk about a giant, large monocle's pizza. It has the same effect in your heart as that pizza did. It satisfies a need right now, doesn't it? And a lot of times that's the way we view our relationship with God, that same way, oh, I just love God, isn't God good? And it's the exact same as when you go to get whatever it is that you say that you love to eat. So we have to learn to truly love God and to learn how God views the rest of the world and to learn that you are not different and special, that God only loves you, that he loves all. And so as we can learn to see our community and to see our nation and to see our world through the lenses that God sees. Second thing is we have to learn to love life. And that's to understand and possess the joy of the Lord and understand our own relationship to our own sin and to grace. And if we, and if we can actually understand that and possess that, the, what the Bible says is the joy of the Lord, which is supposed to be our strength, then we would be a happy people and we would be a people that people might go like, hey, like, man, you seem really happy and like you have it together. What is that? Are you on a new supplement or something? Like, have you got a new, you're on a new diet? Are you doing paleo? Like, what's happening in your world? Because you look different, right? Instead of just looking like everybody else. And we're supposed to love life because we have a hope and we have a future in Christ Jesus. The third thing is to love people. Caring about our, our fellow man and using the recipe that we just talked about in doing good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, and to pray for those who abuse you and to treat others the way that we want to be treated. Luke six twenty seven again, it says, But I say to all of you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray 
for those who abuse you. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, we thank you for the heart that you have for mankind. God, that your word says that while we were still yet sinners, that you sent your son to die. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to sow back into your kingdom with our hearts and with our lives and with our passions and with our energies. Lord, to do all that you have asked and, and, and want from us, Lord, to do. And God, that's to love people, to treat people with the same respect, Lord, that you want us to do. Lord, to, to love those who, who do poorly to us, who hate us, God, and those who curse us. And Lord, all of the surrounding things of negativity that people want to sow in our lives, your word tells us that we should be different. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the heart and the mind and the relationships, Lord, um, and, and to stir us, God, to be able to accomplish all that you want to accomplish in us. And we will give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.